monster, a creature with such horrific features, a lady, a bride, and scary movie fan. Some nerds and their website present this woman and her man. Hello and welcome back to the Bride of the Creature podcast with me, the creature Joey G. And joining me as always, the cutest podcaster in town, the bride, Nicole. Hello. How are you, love? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm quite well. I'm just trying to find my notes for this movie, and I just found my notes for um, uh, Burnt Offerings. Well, that, that's not what we're doing today. There's a lot of notes for that movie, though. <sighs> Funny movie. Funny notes. Funny. Oh, and here's my notes for Silent Night, Deadly Night. It ends with me writing, fuck this movie, in all caps. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. This week we are doing a versus. It's my pick. I picked the versus. So if if this is your first versus, allow me to explain. We watch. <laughs> Why did you say it that I way? I don't know. Leave me alone. We watch the original of a beloved classic, and the remake, and then we duke it out because historically Nicole has. It used to be we always assumed Nicole would like the remake and I would like the original. That hasn't always been the case. In fact, more often than not, we agree. It's just there was that one time, Dawn of the Dead, where we didn't agree. And now I think if we were to watch them again, we probably would agree. I think we'd probably agree now, too. I would probably say that the remake is better than I said it was before, and you would agree that the original is Is pretty pretty close to perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this time... I've matured a lot, Joey. I've grown as a person, growing, Mm -hmm. changing. Speaking of growing and changing... We're in we're in two different chairs this That's time. That's not. Oh, I mean, yes, we are. But that wasn't what I was going for. I thought that was a usually, perfect segue into a you, movie pick. Well, yeah, I mean, usually we're in one big chair that we have to squish and sit. It, okay, big chair. It was like a love seat, but it was like a futon love seat. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. This is way better. Two separate chairs. We should get separate beds, separate rooms. <laughs> Nothing says Joey and Nicole's marriage like fuck this love seat. Let's have separate folding chairs. <laughs> way better. Anyway, but no, what I was saying was, speaking of change and evolution, we did The Fly. Yeah, that's my pick. that was a really good segue. It was a good segue. That you derailed. (laughs) Oh, you wanted to tell people about the skunks? Oh, yeah. So, if anyone keeps up with our podcast, and I think it was several months ago now that I was concerned about skunks being under our porch, and then I decided to leave them be because they're, you know, the babies are nesting. Guess who's back? The, the skunks are back. Back again. They're back again. Skunks are back. I smelled them this morning. And plus I saw a trail of our dead bushes. I wondered what that was from. Yes. That's from the skunks? Yeah, they're all under our deck now. Great. Yeah, so just don't get our let our dog put his head under there. I won't put my fine. head under there either. <laughs> I don't want to bath you in tomato soup either. I don't like tomato. I think it's tomato juice, not tomato soup. I don't know that tomato soup would be what you wanted. I think it's tomato soup, sweetie. I'm pretty sure it's tomato juice, honey. Let's bet on this. How much? I don't know. Can of Pepsi? Let's look it up. Are you looking Damn. it up? Yeah, I'm looking it up. I want a Pepsi. It's tomato soup because it's thicker. Thicker things get the smell off better. Does that make sense? Uh, no. What do you bathe in... Okay, well, according to, to Google, it's actually hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and uh, <laughs> dishwashing soap. Oh. But I'm sure that there's, like... But we're talking about the old wives' tale kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, the, what do you always say? Uh, I don't want actual help. I want the thing you use to tell people. 
You don't have actual help. Well, we might need actual help if our dog puts Hang its on. head under there. So I think I think it's tomato soup, and you think tomato juice for skunks. Uh, so it took so it is tomato juice, but that's the old folklore was tomato juice that would wash away the stench, but apparently it just masks the smell but does not eliminate it. So anyway, it was tomato juice. I was right. All right, you're right. Where's my Pepsi? Well, you're not having mine, so. So I. So you're welching. You can go you get suck. it yourself from the fridge upstairs. Well, that's not the. What was the point <laughs> of the bet then? You, you want me to what? leave the podcast to go get you? No, a I Pepsi? want you to just sit back and enjoy the ride as I run us through. I wrote notes and a synopsis of these movies. Are you ready, Nicole? Yeah, more ready than you are, apparently. How? <laughs> Do you know how long you flipped through that book for? Do you see how many pages I have in this notebook? Why don't you use your little bookmarker? Because that the bookmark shows me which page I'm on to write in the new stuff. Well, wouldn't the stuff you just wrote be the thing previous well, to we've that? Written, we watched this movie two weeks ago. And then we watched the other one, so shouldn't it... Do you think I don't write other things in my notebook? You write other movies? No, I write lots of... This is my notebook for everyday life. You write everyday life? Yeah, I've got grocery lists in here, I've got notes on another movie, I've got notes I took about a David Bowie album, I've got the names of books I wanted to look up, I've got a thing I wanted to remember to look up about um, uh, a book uh, called The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind by Jolena Jane, so I, I'm, I'm an interesting guy, I have lots of different interests and... Yeah, so do I, I don't have to write the everything what? down. Simpsons and Bob's Burgers? Those are your diverse... <laughs> You know, oh yeah, you don't have to write anything down. And meanwhile, you can never find anything or remember fucking anything. <laughs> I just gave you a notebook because you couldn't remember. You you write fucking little things on scraps of children's drawings like an idiot. <laughs> and then I throw them in the recycling. Yeah, and then you call me in I'm tears. Fine. I can't find my thing. <laughs> well, I have a notebook. It took me. It took me a minute to find the right page, but I found it. Well, continue with your book report. Thank you. The Fly, nineteen fifty-eight. Directed by Kurt Newman, based on a short story by George Langelon, which originally appeared in Playboy magazine. Oh! Right. Fascinating. We begin with an establishing shot showing us that we are in Montreal. Let's see how francophone it is. What's francophone mean? French. Oh. Uh, Monsieur Night Watchman sees a well-dressed woman running away from a corpse. That's how the movie started. Cut to well-dressed lady phoning Vincent Price and confessing to killing someone named Andre. Oh, for a second there, I thought you meant the corpse was chasing her, and I was no. like, I don't remember that part. Oh, I, I see. She was running away from a corpse, but the corpse wasn't pursuing yeah. her. She was just leaving the corpse behind. That's very funny. I was like, I don't remember this scene. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. So, uh, Monsieur Night Watchman, then f- he phones Vincent Price next to say the same thing. Someone's killed Andre, and it was the lady. How did they know it was Andre. Uh, presumably Monsieur Night Watchman had seen Andre in there a bunch of times because he owned the factory. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, so far we're one out of three on francophones. Monsieur Night Watchman is the only character who is remotely French-Canadian so far. Monsieur. Yeah. Vincent Price, uh, calls some inspector who is also very not French-Canadian. Right. Uh, Detective Anglo, as I have been calling him. Anglo is the opposite of francophone, so he's an Anglophone, English. Detective Anglo and Vinnie P head to the scene and Vinnie P? <laughs> Vinnie P is what I'm calling Vincent Price in this movie. Uh, Vinnie P and Detective Anglo rush to the scene and confirm that Andre is in fact dead. 
in a gigantic press. His head is squished. And his right hand? Yeah, his head in his hand. And it is determined that the press was activated two times. But why? Watch and see. At the time, they made a big deal out of, like, why would the press be activated twice to kill the man? Well. It was a big deal. It was a, yeah, it's all a big mystery. So, uh, meanwhile, at Andre's house, we have a doctor who appears to be French. Finally, a French guy. Although I thought he sounded more Parisian French than French Canadian. The doctor who goes to see the wife who was running away. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, he seems French. But again, I think he was more Parisian French than French Canadian. Uh, And then I have a note here that says, Andre's wife looks like Gidget. Do you remember Gidget? Gidget was like an old 50s TV show. About this, like, Why would I remember an old TV show? No, I know. Here, I'll show you a picture of Gidget and you tell me if I was crazy. I just thought that the way she dressed and her hair and her actions reminded me of Gidget. Here's Gidget. Ah, she's super cute. Yeah, Gidget. I think she was played by um, uh, Sandra D. Yeah, look at her. She's Sandra D. From Greece? No, that was the whole... <laughs> in Greece, they sing the song, Look at me, I'm Sandra D. Because she had, the actress Sandra Dee had this like goody-goody um, image that that's what, that song is making fun of Sandy saying that she's like Sandra Dee. Oh my god. You just thought that Sandy's name was Sandra Dee in that movie? Yeah. They say her last name in that movie. What is it? I don't remember, but it's not <laughs> D. Does it doesn't start with a D? I don't know. It's, I don't remember. So I'm I not completely stupid for not. No, you're not that. stupid, but I do think that I, I'm very happy because I think it's very cute. I, I think never Sally knew that. Field would also play Gidget later on in her career. Oh my God, Sally Field was so young. Yeah, she was the mom I mean, I in guess, Forrest Gump. Yes. And she was the flying nun. Just the mom in. Um, this is Doubtfire. This is Doubtfire. Who it was a drive-by fruiting. She yells, "I want a divorce." Aww. Ruins her son's birthday party. <laughs> That is a pretty bad way thing to happen at a birthday party. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, I call you know what else is bad? A bad thing that happens at a birthday party. Skunks. The nun hanging herself. Not the in nun. The, omen. the, the nanny. nanny. In the to omen. To be fair, that was for Damien. It was all for him. It and Damien was, was into it. Well, probably. Well, he was Satan's kid. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen the Omen. Yeah, you should just watch the Omen. We should do a verses of the Omen sometime. <laughs> this is the Nicolas Cage remake. You ever seen it? There was. They remade the Omen with yeah, Nicolas Cage. I didn't know Nicolas Cage was in it. I knew Julia. Um, not Julia. What's her name? She's from Ten Things I Hate About You. Julia Stiles. Isn't it? I'm pretty sure that Nicolas Cage is in the remake of I don't, that. I don't remember him being in we'll it. Let's look it up. The uh, remake was not good. I don't remember. I don't think I ever saw it. I have it on DVD. I watched it. I bought a box set of it, it one It wasn't time. good, but I really loved the original. Why do I think it's Nicolas Cage? It's not I think Nicolas it's actually Cage. Liev Schreiber, who is not Nicolas Cage. Yeah, see? Huh. Why did I think it doesn't really matter? But yeah, I totally thought it was Nicolas Cage. But no, Liev Shriver and Nicolas Cage are not the same person. I wonder if it came out around the same time as the remake of The Wicker Man, which is maybe why I get those confused in my head. Maybe you're just an idiot. It's possible. Anyway, I call her Gidget for the rest of the movie. Gidget says she killed Andre, but she won't give any details. And then she starts acting all kooky and chasing a fly, and she seems buggy. Ha! I wrote that. That's a wrote, bad. Ha, ha, ha. That's a bad one. Detective Anglo doubts her story because Gidget is a shitty liar. He's like, I don't believe her story. And I was just like, no shit. She is fucking obviously lying to you, Detective Anglo. Good for you. This is how he became a detective. But she's so pretty. 
Anyway, Detective Anglo and Vinnie P go to Andre's awesome, cool laboratory, which has been trashed. And Vinnie P doesn't even know what Andre was working on. He's like, Andre was the smart one. I was just, I was the business guy. Andre, who's my brother, he did all the inventing. I just did all the bills and the business. Right. So he had no idea what his brother was working on. Yeah, it's like you and me, only I do both the invention and the business. <laughs> what would you do? Invention? What kind of invention? Uh, I could invent something. I have a tiny screwdriver right here. A tiny little document, a tiny little screwdriver. It came with my Raspberry Pi kit. Um, the Detective Anglo asks if Andre ever experimented on insects. Probably only so that Vincent Price could say the line, he'd never heard a fly. Because there was no reason for the detective to wonder about that, except for Vinnie P. wanting to say, he wouldn't hurt a fly. And then he'd be like, that's the name of this movie. And it has to do with flies. Yeah. And Alias is a show <laughs> about a spy. Gidget's hospital room is nicer than any hotel room I've ever seen. And that's because it's her bedroom. I realized that later, but I didn't want to go back and cross off the notes. <laughs> Really? Yeah. You thought that was a hospital? At first, because why would she be at her house? Because that's what, how doctors used to do it. They would just oh, do yeah. house calls. Oh yeah, all doctors would, especially people who would just murder their husbands, were always kept in their bedrooms. I assume she was in like a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. Eventually we figure out, okay, so it's her house. It, but at the time, it didn't seem like it, it was her house. It did seem like it was her house. Look, it was a nice room. <laughs> anyway, her nurse is also extremely not French-Canadian. Gadget goes all nutty after the nurse swats at a fly. Yeah, she, like, very dramatically She's like, no. like yeah. knocks all her food tray off yeah. the bed. She's just like, just fuck this noise! <laughs> very dramatic. It's very dramatic. Uh, Detective Anglo observes that Vinnie P is in love with Gidget. Nothing gets past Detective Anglo. Still, no clue as to what Andre was working on, but Detective Anglo thinks that Gidget is probably sane, but he can't prove it. You just keep staring at me. I'm looking to you for additional commentary, and you have nothing for me. Well, yeah, that's true, what you said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Vinipi has a meal with young Gidget's son, who I've named Expository Dialogue, because that is the only role this child plays in this movie. His job is to wander in and have Expository Dialogue, and then walk away. Is it Expository or Expositionary? I don't know what you're trying to even talk about. You know what a character just exists just to, like give you information relevant to the plot in a way that is not believable as dialogue. That's called exposition. How does he do that, though? Well, just come in and just, like, randomly say things like, oh, wow, yeah, Mama caught a fly with a white hat, and she was ridiculous. He just, like, comes in and explains the background of the movie to you without actually being a character. Or the things that just happen off-camera. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So anyway, uh, expository dialogue explains that there's a fly that Gidget's been looking for, and that this fly is easily identified because it has a white head. Uh, okay, so we're still sitting at one on the Francometer. <laughs> this is only one Francophone so far. This little boy who lives in Montreal with his family. Extremely American. Vinny P goes to... Uh, go. What does this say? Goes to Chateau Psych. Oh, right, because I realized that the Psych Ward was actually her house. That's where I... So I called it Chateau Psych Ward. Because then you clued in to what was actually happening? Because mm -hmm, I kind of expected this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gidget is asking about fly lifespans because she's very not obvious, and Vinnie P explains the fly she's seeking is alive. Vinnie P threatens to give the fly to Detective Anglo unless Gidget tells him the truth. She agrees to tell Vinnie P and Detective Anglo the truth if he promises to kill that fly. Cut to flashback. Oh yeah, it did take a long time. It took, let's call it a thousand years? 
before we got to the flashback, I saw this movie when I was a lot younger, and I remember it being really great. It's not that good. I really liked it. I like it. We can talk about this one at the end. Flashback. Uh, so now we get introduced to Andre before his head got crushed. Andre arrives home in all of his anglophone glory, and he takes Gidget into his lab, which it looks even cooler when it's not destroyed. That lab looked so cool. I think it was really cool. It was like in their basement at this cool sliding yeah. door. But it had like like lights and buzzers and I want a cool. It lab. looked like like a traditional what you Mad say scientist lab? with the yeah. the beakers and the yeah, colored yeah. water and whoever did the production design for this movie liked that lab so much because they literally used the same stock footage like that takes like 30 seconds like four times in the movie whenever they turn the machine on they would go through the entire thing again like the order of the lights turning on and by the third time i was just like get on with it i pulled the microphone away when i did that because i'm a professional broadcaster <laughs> turns out it's a teleporter neat the guy built a teleporter right Seriously, though, this lab looks so goddamn cool. I was really excited about how cool this lab looked. Uh, so the explanation of teleportation... I mean, it was okay. It was, like, metal and shit. It was cool. Uh, I wrote that the explanation of how teleportation works is almost the exact same as the one that Willy Wonka gives in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where they're going to send Mike TV. It is! Like, yeah! It, almost exactly the same way. And I was like, oh. Which um, one came first? This or Willy yes. Wonka? I don't By know like what year Willy years. Wonka came out. Willy Wonka was in the 70s, I think. I don't know, it was all old. <laughs> yeah, all old. Um, and then I also wrote here that nobody even has a similar accent as anybody else in this movie. Least convincing Canada ever. They discovered that the ashtray that they teleported has the words mirrored on the back now. What? It reversed. So it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Comes back wrong, just like Pet Cemetery. Yeah. So at this point is when I discovered the nickname I was going to use for Andre for the rest of the movie. I was very proud of it. What? Andre the Mental Giant. It's good, right? Very good. Because he's a genius. Yeah. Andre the Mental Giant works with cables and plugs. This is cool. He then teleports a newspaper, which sets... Which seems fine. I said which sets fire, but that's not true. It seems fine. <laughs> seems the opposite. Fine. Yeah. Basically, there are, there's two versions of a newspaper. One that seems fine and one that sets fire. You want the <laughs> one that seems fine. Uh, so then the natural next step is to teleport his cat. What an asshole. It's not even his cat. It was his, his son's cat. His son doesn't give a fuck. His son doesn't emote once in this entire movie. That's true, but the poor kitty is anyway, a house yeah. pet. The cat doesn't come through, but there are dopey ghost cat sounds in the air, which I was like, great. And then I wrote, way to go, Andre, you prick. I know, I was sad. I wanted the cat to come yeah. back the, the very, very next, next day. day. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was gone. But it didn't come back. No, just, just stay away. Uh, so apparently weeks pass, and Andre the Mental Giant finally emerges from his lab and takes Gidget to the ballet. Uh, and while they're at the ballet, Andre the Mental Giant does math on the program. He hasn't seen his wife or kid in like three weeks because he's been locked in the basement playing with wires. And he's like, ha, ah, come on, let's go on a date. The kid can, whatever he's doing. And then they go to the ballet and he's fucking doing math. And she's just like, oh, my husband, the scientist. I think that's a very overused trope with husbands. Not paying attention at the opera? Like, scientist husbands. Yeah. Like, just always, always, always... Like, like thinking think about their work, and then they, in the middle of the something, opera. they like run off to the basement and do their weird whatever. I think shit. that if you and I went to the opera, I'd be the one who was interested, and you'd be so not paying attention. Please don't take me you'd to the opera. You'd be on like fucking Instagram or whatever. <laughs> please don't doing make me go to the opera. I would go to an opera. I said, please don't make me. Fine. 
Me and the boys will go. Not our children. I mean, like, the boys. Like, on say, boys' night. The guys. You should do that. Come on, yo, boys. Get, we're going to go to the fucking opera. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and then I wrote vomit intermission. Why did I write vomit intermission? <laughs> oh, no, I missed something. Uh, back at the lab, Andre <laughs> the Mental Giant shows off and teleports a guinea pig. Uh, oh, yeah, the little the guinea, guinea pig, pig was, was so cute, yeah. and the guinea pig came back okay. And then the gi- doesn't and the- make up for the pet cat though. And then Gid- Gidget gives a dopey. The world is moving too fast, and we're playing God speech. This movie is very much against any kind of scientific progress, which was a common trope in like um, Victorian science fiction for sure. But I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know why I wrote vomit intermission. Did we stop for you to go vomit? Were you coughing? I did not vomit or cough. This? I don't. I wonder why I wrote vomit intermission. I never would cough. My gosh. Oh, I remember why. We were watching the movie and our son threw up. That was when Sawyer <laughs> was sick and we had to go upstairs and take the sheets off his bed. Because he threw up, right. I knew there was a reason. That's why I wrote vomit intermission. Because there was vomit and we had to pause the movie for half an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's fine now. He's all better. Yeah, we watched the sheets. That well, wasn't... Yeah, I mean, among other things. We also watched him. Yeah. Andre the Mental Giant uh, is in a hammock on a gorgeous summer day, you know, in the middle of winter in Quebec. And uh, Gidget, yeah, you, you I was so out. annoyed every time they were outside in winter in this gorgeous palatial garden like, so in the hammock. so beautiful, yeah. Beautiful, and I'm just like, fuck you, this is supposed to be in Montreal. Not Montreal. Why did they decide, Why did they make it Montreal? I don't know. It could have been anywhere. I feel like they never even even looked at what Montreal looked no, like. No, there's one francophone in the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Makes you so angry. I, I was just at the beginning. I was like, "Oh, cool, Canada." Nope, not Canada. Anyway, uh, Gidget remarks that spring will soon be there, and then I wrote, "Has no one in this movie even seen Montreal?" <laughs> He's laying in a hammock, and no. it's almost spring. No, they have not seen any of Canada. No. Anyway, expository dialogue turns up to tell Gidget about the fly that he caught. He caught a fly. Holy shit, the maid is the... <laughs> then I wrote, Holy shit, the maid is the penguin from Blues Brothers. Remember how excited I got when I realized that their maid was the penguin from Blues Brothers? The, the penguin? They call her the penguin in the Blues Brothers. The nun? Like the nun who runs Why the orphanage? Why do a penguin? Because nuns were black and white, like penguins. Have you never heard that? I've never heard that. You've never heard a nun called a penguin? Never, ever, ever. Well, you have, because you've seen the Blues Brothers. Yeah, a million years ago, and I didn't pay attention. You should pay attention, it's good. Gidget goes to they see Andre the Mental Giant. They sing too much in that Blues movie. Brothers? Yeah. They sing good songs. It's boring. Gidget goes to see Andre the Mental Giant and gets a note under the door explaining that it's a life or death situation, an accident has happened, and he is given a specific outline of directions. Is it to catch the fly? Well, we'll get to that. In the lab, Andre the Mental Giant has a towel on his head. Dun dun dun! Yet. He needs Gidget to find the white fly. Uh, Gidget sees he's built a much larger box, like a teleport box. Under the towel, Andre the Mental Giant is clearly sucking up milk and rum, which Gidget tells him the fly... uh, When Gidget tells him the fly was let go, he stands up and reveals his fucky fly hand. He has a fucky hand. It looks like a fly's hand. Yeah. Uh, Gidget freaks out. It's kind of more like a hook. Yeah, it's gross. Gidget screams, runs off. Andre the Mental Giant uh, gives a new typed message, promising to explain in the morning. So then uh, I wrote, Andre explains the plot of the fly. 
Basically, he spends five <laughs> minutes explaining that a fly threw into the teleporter when he was in it, and now he has a fly head. Which I already knew, because I've seen The Simpsons. Exactly. Treehouse of Horrors over and over again since I was yeah. a child. That was one problem with this movie, is that everyone knows the plot of the fly super well now from The Simpsons. It's also, you know, it's a 60-year-old movie, so it's a pretty common... True. And we all know would it. you think? Would you say that the remake is more well known than the original? Probably, but because I, I didn't even, even know, I didn't even know there was an original. Like mm. I thought that oh. the Cronenberg one was the the one until I was going through our drawers trying to find but, a movie. Going through our drawers, I'm sure that the movie drawers. I, I mean, The Simpsons probably definitely helped. Probably definitely, but also like. <laughs> I can remember as a kid, like, even not knowing it was from the fly, but there's the whole trope of, like, a tiny guy in a spider going, help me! When was that? At the end of the movie, when he's in the spider web! Yeah, but wait, sorry, where else I just remember people saying that. Oh, really? Like, I just remember that being, like, a pop culture thing. I don't remember that. Yeah. Probably from The Simpsons, but... uh, Anyway. um, Expository dialogue catches him and Gidget... Uh, oh no! Expository dialogue catches the fly, and Gidget, who was useless, immediately lets it escape, and then knocks over a lamp like a fucking moron. And holy shit, did that make me laugh? Do you remember we watched it, and she like spins and knocks over the lamp, and I laughed so hard because oh, yeah. it was so weird. Like the kid catches the fly, no problem. She's like, "Great job!" And she comes over and fucks it up, and then swings her hand and knocks over a fucking lamp, and it was so funny. I think it was so funny because it looked so on purpose. <laughs> oh, an on purpose accident to yeah. knock over this lamp. Like her, her script was, "You knock over the lamp with the net." I'm gonna go out on a limb here. She just knocks it. Yeah. I'm gonna make a statement. All right. I think Patricia Owens was bad in this movie. <laughs> I think she kind of sucked. She was charming. She was not. I thought she was She charming. wasn't very good, and she has to carry the whole movie for reasons. Uh, I mean, it's not her fault that, like, she's in a movie with Vincent Price, who's the most charming guy in the universe. I don't think he's charming. He's magnetic, though. He's not magnetic. He's so cool. You can't... He has a charisma. Like, even if you're not like, ooh, I'm charmed, like, you want to, like, drop your panties, but, like, <laughs> he has a charisma about him. Like me! <laughs> you should see the look on her face right now. Like I just knocked over a lamp. I, I disagree. <laughs> anyway, I was laughing really hard at the lamp, and then the fly escapes, and uh, <laughs> Gidget runs around. What does that say? <laughs> you can't read your oh, writing. Gidget runs around gorgeous, temperate Montreal in the winter. <laughs> still ha- beating that drum, pissed off about sunny Montreal. <laughs> then we have a, a creepy sequence where. Uh, Andre the Mental Giant types about how he's losing brain power and will. Like, he feels like he's losing his humanity. Oh, yeah, that was sad. I thought that was really sad. Gidget insists that Andre the Mental Giant try to teleport again despite not having the fly. It doesn't work, and he has a fly head, and Gidget is... D-A... something. Gidget is what? Anyway, Gidget's probably upset about that. (laughs) I have no idea what that was supposed to say. Okay, under the metal giant tra- uh, trashes his lab because he doesn't want. He says something shouldn't be meddled with, which is stupid, uh, and that's sort of like um, the whole point. Is he's like, no one can do this because I made a mistake, and now we can't ever let this technology fall into the wrong hands, or else other morons might have fly heads. He really makes a big deal out of this. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. It's like Just an make sure you don't put flies in the machine next time. Yeah. But he acted like this could end the world, Nicole. If we don't destroy my machine. And me, people might accidentally turn into flies. 
Well, he wanted to destroy himself because he was losing his humanity. No, he wanted to destroy... Well, also, he wanted to destroy himself and the machine and all of his research so that nobody would ever discover it again because he was playing God and he never should have done it. But apparently he, like... I don't know. It was... Yeah, he can't be God. No. There's a line in a Steve Martin movie called The Man with Two Brains where the guy goes... Because it's like a mad scientist part. And the guy goes, You're playing God! And Steve Martin goes, Well, somebody has to! And I always think of that line. All the time. Every day. <laughs> okay, so... Now that Gidget agrees that Andre the Metal Giant is gross, she agrees to help him kill himself. They then use the press... Ew, you're gross. Let's squish pretty you. Pretty much. She sees his head and she's like, You're right, hon. We should kill you. <laughs> uh, so they use the press, but oops, they missed the fly arm. That's why she had to push the button again to crush the hand, too. They really made it seem like that second press was going to fucking matter. But no, it, it was just like she fucked up and, oh, I missed his hand. I'll do it again. <laughs> End flashback. But she that didn't was, even push it the first time. He, he pushed, pushed it his, and then ran in. Yeah. It's like you try and go under the garage door as it's closing. <laughs> Only he didn't make it. But then what? you also have to duck under the garage door and jump over the sensor. Step over the sensor, yeah. This thing, this thing should have had a sensor. Yep. End flashback. So yeah, that the majority of this movie is a fucking flashback. Yep. Detective Anglo doesn't believe the story uh, for the fact that matter... Oh, and okay, okay, this is great. Detective Anglo doesn't believe the story for the simple fact that matter, matter cannot be transmitted. The fly-headed man, sure, but teleportation? Nah. That was the... I was just like, that's the part of the story that you don't believe? That he built a teleporter? Not that he turned into a fucking fly man? Detective Anglo, you dick. Uh, he says he'd only believe it if they could find the fly. Oh, sure. And then Vincent Price just goes, sits on a bench. And yeah, so Vinnie, Vinnie P is now on the hunt for flies. And just sits down, yep. happens to find one. So Vinnie P sits on a bench that happens to be next to a gigantic spider web. And hears a tiny Tim yell... Help me! Just like in The Fly. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, um, expository dialogue tells us the fly is in the web. So Vinnie P goes and grabs Detective Anglo to look at it. A spider is about to eat the fly, so Detective Anglo smashes the fuck out of it with a rock. What an asshole. So Vinnie P and Detective Anglo come up with a plan to make it a suicide so Gidget doesn't have to go to jail. Vinnie P is going to be expository dialogue's new dad. The end. <laughs> then grocery list. And then a grocery list, yeah. Um, I thought the little guy at the end of the movie in the spider web looked so cool the way he they did, did that. Cool. Yeah. It was like super creepy and weird. I will say that for a movie in 1958, like a sci-fi, this is way more of a sci-fi movie than a horror movie, but like it, it looked fine. Like the, the, the fly monster head looked cheesy like a Doctor Who bad guy but like you know it was 1958 you had a fly what do you want part, it was part of the movie's charm I thought yeah I think you like this movie more than me which I is do crazy because I do like this movie yeah but I remember it being a lot better and not as boring like this movie is only I think like 92 minutes long but it feels like it's about six hours long. I disagree. It didn't feel long at all. And I liked the whole clue aspect at the beginning of like making it a whodunit I thought Gidget was charming I too. I thought she was sweet, and the I found their whole romance really heartbreaking. They like they they had chemistry together, and they were really romantic and How charming. How about the shoehorn thing of Vincent Price also being in love with her? Yeah, that was dumb. It was very dumb. But that way it was so that it could end with her getting a new husband and yeah. Edie getting a new dad. Would you like a new dad if I died? What you know, my if dad. Good point. You know what I mean. <laughs> what? You know what I mean. 
Would you want a new dad for the boys if I got crushed after being a bug man? No. Good. Um, I would want another lover. Sweet. <laughs> That's you're such a romantic. But no, their whole romance <laughs> was really heartbreaking that it had to end and it made me sad. I really liked this movie. I, I like it too. I, I think the reason it feels so long to me, would you like me to tell you? Why don't you go first? Please. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, really? So can I go on? So the thing, the reason I think this movie feels like it's so long is that there's no suspense. There's no question about who done it. You know what happened. You know he was a bug man. You, and they spend like, it's like 40 minutes before they first even teleport something. And you're like, fuck, I, I, I get it. They're going to teleport something. He's going to turn into a fly. I know. It's not the movie's fault that I know because it's you know, a 60-year-old movie that everyone knows the premise of, but it takes so long getting there. And the whole framing sequence with Detective Anglo and Vincent Price is stupid. If the movie had just been the flashback leading up to the end, the death, and then have Vincent Price show up or whatever, fine. But there was that... It just took forever. I liked the whole Vincent Price thing. It, it did feel like a Doctor Who episode, which is probably why part of the reason I liked it so much. And I like Doctor Who too. And yeah, I like the fly head and his weird arm. Yeah. And his laugh was cool. Yeah. I, I liked this whole movie. It was a charming 50 sci-fi movie. It doesn't have, I think... It's definitely more sci-fi, I agree. Yeah, and it, I don't think it has any of the like thematic weight of a lot of other 50 sci-fi movies. Like, I think this feels like a too-long episode of The Twilight Zone to me. Yeah, I like The Twilight Zone, too. Yeah, but The Twilight Zone are usually 30 minutes. This is not was not that long. I just felt like for the amount of story that was there, it felt long, because there was very little story there, and they just, they would hammer things home, and Montreal does not look like that. Well, let's go on to the next one. So then, let me find the right page. Oh. <laughs> Can you find it after our grocery list? The Fly, 1986. Starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Directed by... This is the third Cronenberg film we've done on our podcast. I know. We saw so far we've done The Brood. The Brood and Scanners. Scanners. We should do more Cronenberg. He's awesome. He's pretty great. So this movie... Just, spoiler alert. I like this movie a lot. <laughs> going into it, I was thinking like, Oh, I love the original Fly. And I probably like this one better, but I love the original Fly. And going out of it, I'm like, I can't wait to watch the good version of The Fly. I was excited to watch this one because... I'd seen, I hadn't seen it, but I saw just a, one part of it on TV. Yeah, I remember at your parents' house. Yeah, and it was the tra one of the transformation scenes it where he's later. just starting to, like, look gross. They are. That's disgusting. <laughs> okay, so we start off at a party. I blur blurt laughed a yeah. lot in this movie. Some stuff about this movie makes me even more impatient with the previous one, about how I said it took so long to get going. This movie wastes oh, no yeah, time. Yeah, I did, I did like that. It just was immediately yeah. like, these it's are like, my look, transporter you know the You know the plot. Here we go. The movie starts off mid-conversation with Jeff Goldblum trying to convince Gina Davis he's built something amazing, and she should probably come back to his lab. Sure, Jeff. I'm sure you're not the first man to try and tell Gina Davis to come look at his cool invention in his lab. Yeah, but also she just meets him and she lets him take her to this, like, abandoned creepy warehouse. There's, like, red flag, red flag, red flag all over the place. You'd go with Jeff Goldblum. She's lucky that he was actually who he said he was and not a murderer. Or a rapist. Right, yeah. They get to the lab and he starts playing the piano and saying weird things. This is a bad date. 
Oh yeah, and then he said, "Can't le you leave alive now that you know? Yeah. Now that you've seen my machines, I can't leave. Let you leave alive." She's like, "I haven't seen anything yet. You're just sitting there playing a the piano." And then he says, "Telepods." Now, that's a good name for teleportation pods. Telepods. I like it. She gives him a stocking to teleport. Hot. They're ring very flirty, and she gives him a stocking. Yeah, teleport. why wouldn't she just give him her shoe? He doesn't. She doesn't wear jewelry. Shoes count as jewelry. <laughs> she was barefoot. Obviously. But she had to take her shoe off to no, get no, the stocking off. No, she took off her high heels. Because she was obviously thought he was cute or she wouldn't have gone with him. She's flirting with him. Yeah, but... She didn't just go to see the invention. She didn't believe he had an don't invention. Don't you think just taking off a shoe is sexy? <laughs> Do I think taking off your shoe is sexier than peeling off your stocking? Uh... No, hon, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. What if you took it off... If Jeannie Davis wait, wait, said wait. to me, would you like me to take off my shoe or my stocking? I'd be like, fucking... Give me the stocking. What if she did? What if she took off her shoe really slow? There's no <laughs> sexy way to remove a shoe. And then kicked it off really fast. <laughs> it's amazing we have children. His name is Seth Brundle. Brundle, Brundle, comma Seth is what he says in the machine. So I call him Brundle Seth for the whole movie. Brundle Seth is very upset when he realizes Gina Davis is gonna write a story about his teleporter machine. He probably should have expected that when he invited a reporter back to his lab to show her his teleporter machine. I know, I said, I was like, what did he expect? And you're like, sucks. Because well, that's all you think yes. about with Gina Davis. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true. But I, but again, she took out her fucking stocking. She went there to have sex with him and got distracted by the cool telepods. I mean, who wouldn't? They were pretty cool. They were very cool. Gina Davis's editor, however, thinks she's stupid and fell for a trick. He is a traditional 80s boyfriend in movies. He's like 80s boyfriend guy, and he sucks. He's a D-bag. He's a D-bag. Actually, he was kind of charming. Fuck off. He was <laughs> not. He was... He's like, he had this like confidence swagger about him. Confidence swagger? He, when he's in her apartment, like he, and she's well, like. Well, they obviously used to date. We haven't yeah. got there yet. Oh, okay. Gotta wait. It's next. Oh. Also, I come up with a name for her. She's not Gina Davis anymore. Just wait. She's Brendel Seth Davis tries Seth? to convince Lois Lane not to tell anyone yet. I call her Lois Lane because she's a, a, a reporter. You're going to confuse everyone. Gina Davis is now Lois Lane in my notes. There's a fly in this. There's yeah, People I'm, are going to think we're talking about Spider-Man. I don't think... Why would they be thinking about Spider-Man? <laughs> Lois Lane is from Superman. <laughs> Jesus Christ, woman. I don't know why I got that confused. Yeah, if anyone's going to be confused here, it's you. <laughs> Continue. Thank you. Brendel Seth tries to convince Lois Lane not to tell anyone yet. He says only inanimate objects work so far. So she agrees not to report anything, but instead she's going to do a full, in-depth feature. A novel. She's not writing a novel. She tells her to write a book. That's not... Okay, that's not what a novel is. <laughs> not all books are novels. A novel book. She's going to write like a... Documentary book. A documentary book. Not a novel, honey. God, I'm a f look. I want everyone listening to know she's actually really smart. <laughs> Sometimes she just says things like this that make you think that she might not be, but she actually is very. She actually is quite a bit smarter than me. I was about to blame. She just sounds stupider. <laughs> I was about to blame it on it being late, but it's not even nine o'clock. Yeah, you. Uh. I'm tired. Anyway, when Lois Lane gets back to her apartment, her editor is showering in her apartment. 
That's weird. Oh, they apparently used to date. He's a dickbag. Sometimes my notes are just like stream of consciousness as I'm <laughs> writing a sentence and something else happens. And they go, oh, okay. Well, and she was like trying to ask for her keys back. And he's like, no. I'll but keep him. I, thought, I don't sake. know why. I liked him. It was fucked up. He breaks into her apartment, showers, expects her to fuck him. She says no. And he goes, I'm still going to keep your key so I can come over to your house whenever I want and shower <laughs> like an asshole. It was fucked up, but he had this like way about him. This charming way. What is the matter with you? Brendel Seth teleports a monkey. It doesn't go well. He's frustrated with himself for not being able to account for the flesh. What didn't, didn't like, you missed the part where the monkey gets turned inside out. I said it didn't go well. He like gets turned inside out. Yeah, the monkey gets turned inside out. blood everywhere. And she's just like, but like, she's also not too grossed out by it. She's like, that's too bad about that baboon. And then I wrote, for some reason, Lois Lane finds the man who has five identical suits and just blew up a monkey hot and they totally have sex. She's just like, nothing gets me going more than blowing up a monkey. Let's bang. It was actually a baboon. As he always corrects Lois Lane. Yeah. All this talk of flesh gives Brendelseth an idea and they try teleporting the steak that Lois brought. Lois Lane's ex is... Oh no, this is later. Well, I didn't give enough details here. It just says Lois Lane's ex is following her and being a fucking douche. What an asshole. Oh, you didn't talk about the steak. Like, what happens when they teleport the steak? Oh, why wouldn't I have written that down? Because when they teleport the steak, then he makes her try it. She said it tastes synthetic. Yeah, so they have uh, the regular flesh and then the cooked flesh and the teleported flesh. And the regular flesh tastes fine. And the, the teleported flesh tastes wrong because the computer doesn't understand how to deal with flesh. So Jeff Goldblum has to teach it about flesh so that it understands how to reconstitute it. He has to, like, put in... I don't know what that meant. Like, what would he type into his computer? Just call it it. Well, it's like the chemistry for flesh. Just go with it. H2. Why would it be H2? <laughs> Just go with it. I don't know chemistry. Upon a second try, the baboon is fine. Good job, Brundleseth. They have another baboon, and he becomes his friend. Oh, yeah, and he would always just jump into his arms. Yeah. And he'd, like, he'd hold him like a toddler on his hip. Mm-hmm. So super cute. So Lois Lane receives a cover mock-up from her editor boyfriend, who's a bullshit man. Who's a bullshit man? Yeah, I wrote, Lois gets a cover mock-up from her editor boyfriend, who's a bullshit man. <laughs> <laughs> Were you angry when I you guess. wrote this? He's a bullshit man and is now trying to take Lois's story out of spite. She goes to tell him to fuck off. So now, Brendelseth is stressed out because Lois's editor is her old boyfriend, so he gets drunk and talks to a baboon and decides <laughs> to teleport himself, as you do. But the plot of the fly happens. <laughs> happens in both movies. But this one is slightly different. A little bit. Uh, so then, um, the next day, you know, he seems fine. He's like, hey, this is fine. And she comes back and he's just like, oh, you know, I, because I teleported the fly, myself. Because the fly had nothing to do with it afterwards. Like, you know, in the original, in the original, there's like, part of him was in the fly. And, yeah. But this one was just, it combined yeah. them together yeah, so that exactly. they're melded together. And we get to that. But originally he doesn't know that. We don't even know that. I'm just um, explaining. So Brendelseth discovers that he can do crazy Cirque du Soleil shit, and he's got, like, super strong fly powers. And then I asked, is that Jeff Goldblum doing that? And, you're and like, I was like, well, honey, if, it, if I was Jeff Goldblum and I could do stuff like that, I wouldn't have asked David Cronenberg to shoot in a super, like, <laughs> wide, faraway shot where you can't see my face. I'd be like, fuck you, I'm Jeff Goldblum, and I can do this shit! It was pretty impressive. Yeah, it wasn't Jeff Goldblum. It was the <laughs> fucking gymnast. 
ruined my illusions. So Brendel Seth is under the impression, impression, impression? the impression, the inflection, the inflection that he. Brendel <laughs> <laughs> Seth is under the impression he's been purified like a coffee filter, but he's now also super into sugar. You know, like a fly. Uh, he's also sort of hyper, and he can fuck for hours. I want to teleport. <laughs> Sometimes I make myself laugh. That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, except his brain is now fucky, and he's waxing poetic about the flesh. You know, like a protagonist in a David Cronenberg movie. Because mm-hmm. that's what this is. So Brendel Seth, um, well, but basically, like, uh, he's like, we should fuck all the time, and you should get teleported. And she's like, A, my pussy is sore from all the fucking, and B... She didn't say that. It was more... In, in as many words. And B, I don't want to teleport. You're all fucky now. I don't want to teleport. She's like, Something's you wrong came with back you. wrong, dude. And he's just like, fine, you're jealous. I'm going to go and find a tawdry whore. Which he, and he breaks someone's so arm. So Seth goes to a bar and chats up a tawdry looking whore. And then he bets her boyfriend a uh, hundred bucks and his lady that he could win an arm wrestle with her. Also, his complexion is getting bad. An arm wrestle with him for her. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I'm like, yeah, you can wager a lady. She even says that, but she still lets it happen. Yeah, because she's a tawdry whore. <gasps> uh, also, his complexion is bad. Yeah, blah, blah. He snaps the guy's wrist like an over-the-top. You can see the bone. Like an over-the-top. I don't know what over-the-top It's is. the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie. Ew. Uh, but tawdry gal... I call her, actually call her tawdry gal. I'm, I'm just trying to put on airs by calling her tawdry whore and people think I'm cool. But I actually wrote tawdry gal. A gal? Because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> but tawdry... <laughs> Tawdry Gal goes with him anyway because it was a different time. Different time. He starts telling Tawdry Girl to go through the teleporter, and she says she's afraid. And uh, then Lois Lane comes out and says that awesome line that from the from the trailer. Afraid. She says, "Be afraid, be very afraid." That's the tagline for this movie. You know, I never saw the trailer. Did we even pause for either of the trailers? Nope. <laughs> We're just not putting trailers. We're in just this not time. putting trailers in this time because I forgot. Okay. He starts telling her to do that part. Lois Lane says they... Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, when Lois Lane and Brendel Seth were having, having like, tantric Cirque du Soleil sex, right. she was like, you got, like, little fucking hairs, hairs going out of your back. Them. And she cuts them, and they're very stiff. Anyway, I she says... I thought it was going to hurt him when she cut them, because... I don't think flies traditionally have nerve endings in there. Well, I thought maybe they did, because they, they're used to sense stuff. I know nothing about flies. Apparently. Uh, anyway, um, she says, look, you're sick. And he says, I'm not sick, watch this. And he punches a pillar. Uh, He shows he's not sick by punching a pillar and having a bunch of sores on his face. Not very convincing. Uh, Anyway, so then she runs off, and his fingernail comes off. And he shoots some pus out. It was so gross. I hate any movie where fingernails come off. Like, in um, Silence of the Lambs, when she's down Mm. in the well and she's begging for him to... And she's trying to like scrabble up. No, and she and she sees someone else's fingernail from scrabbling, and that's when she starts screaming, losing her mind. I was like, oh, my skin just crawled just talking about it. You ever lose a fingernail? No, have you? Once. Why? I slammed my finger in a barn door, and then after <gasps> like a week, it turned black and fell off. It was underneath. What was underneath? Don't tell me. Don't finger. Tell me. Ew. Just finger. finger. There's nothing underneath. It's just finger. Gross. Was it all squishy finger? It's actually why, if you look at my fingernails, the left one is like slightly like more round and perfect looking than the other one. That one's this, fucky. This is the old one. This is the new one. The new one grew back. Was nicer. Well, so we should all lose our fingernails and then yeah. they all grow back nicer. And then we can fuck like Cirque du Soleil. No, I don't. Ugh. 
Uh, anyway, um, Brendel Seth goes, boy, you know, this isn't good. I, I don't look good. I don't feel well. My fingernails just came off. <laughs> Face is all Not fucked good. up. Jesus. Uh, and then it turns out that there was a fly in the machine, like in the fly. <laughs> and he and the fly are joining together at a molecular level. Gross. Four weeks later, Brendel Seth calls Lois and tells her to come see him because she was right and he's all fucked up. So, uh, what does this say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my next note. Brendel Seth barfs on a donut and his ear falls <laughs> off. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. great though he vomits on the door and then he goes that's disgusting <laughs> and you laughed really hard <laughs> cause he like he surprised Startles himself both, yeah. and his ear fell off but then she hugged him and I was like yeah. oh he's so gross but she still hugged him just like you and me <laughs> but who's the gross one Brendel Seth can now <laughs> climb on the walls <laughs> cause he's a fly man and it turns out that Lois Lane is prego with a baby Brundle. It was pretty a little Brundle of joy. It was pretty, oh, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty close the way they did him crawling on the wall and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So then we cut to this scene where they're at like an abortion clinic, and David Cronenberg casts himself as an abortionist, and it's all very bloody and gross, like in a David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> but it was all a dream. It was very, and she like gives birth to like a maggot. Yeah, it was, it was rad. Ew, it, it was, was so rad. gross. Poor Gina Davis. She's an actress. She didn't really give birth to a fucking maggot. She, I bet she had fucked up nightmares for weeks after that. She's an actress, Nicole. She's a professional, a master of her craft. So Brendel Seth gets an idea. To try to reduce the fly in Brundlefly by splicing again with other humans, and then his teeth fall out. So he gets the idea that if he tries to splice again with adding more humans to the mix, then it'll up the level number of human parts to his fly parts and make him less fly man, more human fly. But then he'd have to sacrifice people. Yeah, that's the whole point. He's losing his yeah, losing his humanity. The thing, the speech he gave about um, insect politics. Yes. Oh, was so good. Very good. Very good. Go into detail about it. Uh, when, we, when we get to it, yeah. Oh, we're not there yet. Uh, so then he ends up telling Lois Lane that he needs to, she needs to go away now because he'll hurt her if she stays. And now she's freaked out and wants an abortion like yesterday. So I would want an abortion like yesterday too. I'd like throw myself down the first flight of stairs. Yeah, I can there find. are easier ways to do that. <laughs> as we learn, where she goes to the clinic. But at the abortion clinic, Brundle Seth smashes through a skylight at the goddamn Batman and whisks her away, sweeps her right off her feet. That's what women want, right? Yep. To be swept off their feet in the abortion clinic by a giant human fly? Yep. So romantic. We watched this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I just realized we watched this on Valentine's Day. It was very nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, Douchey 80's boyfriend, a.k.a. her editor, goes to the lab and finds it in ruins, but he brought a shotgun. But then Brundleseth barfs on his hand, and it melts, and he's going to use them to splice! He's going to splice them! But then Lois stops him from barfing on his head. So he barfs on his hand and his it foot, like melts. and they fucking melt, and the guy passes out, and I'm just like, that is so rad. It is, like, pretty gnarly. Yeah, and so actually, you were right. Before he tells her to run away because he'll hurt her, he yes. does the whole speech about insect politics and how insects don't have politics. You can't trust an insect. There's no humanity to them. It's just about perpetuating. It was so good. It's a really good speech. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's actually going to fuse with Lois and so they can be a family. And she rips off his jaw and he goes full fly and it's so cool. He, like, it like he like breaks out of his cocoon. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like, what was his name? Brendel? Brendel. Brendel, like, 
disappears. Like, yeah, the last remnants away. of his humanity are gone. Yeah, it's a big giant fly. But then uh, 80's boyfriend comes to and shoots the computer, which makes Lois's pod turn off. And then when the fusing happens, Brendelseth ends up fusing with the broken pod. So he's just like in agony. This like fly creature monster fused with like wires and plastic. And he like tries to get uh, Lois to shoot him in the head and she does. The end. It reminded me of Terminator 2. When Everything he, reminds you of Terminator 2. <laughs> when he gets, he gives him the button and then he gets lowered and he gives him the, the thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah, he doesn't give a thumbs up in this movie. No. So this movie is so good. So it was, you don't like body horror usually. It was hard to watch. I didn't find it. I found the, those parts really hard to watch. His fingernails are coming off. Another part that made me laugh was when he, as his body parts are falling off, he puts them in jars in his medicine cabinet, and he calls it his like museum of. Oh yeah. Of, I keep wanting to say Brundle. Brundle. I keep wanting to say blunder. That's not right. Brundle had a blunder. <laughs> it's a spoonerism. Um. I found parts of it hard to watch, and I liked the what you call '80s boyfriend, because his path was different than I thought it was going to take. I thought he was going to just be full on bad guy, like yeah, he's just a douchebag. And but he like takes her to the abortion clinic to like help her. Like he just was, he still was nice. Yeah, I think he was just trying to get back in her panties. By taking her to an abortion clinic, Nicole. There's no greater aphrodisiac to a woman. Oh, you were so gross. <laughs> Well, they call him the Bone Wolf. So I wrote down some thoughts. So like thoughts. one of the things, the first movie, as I said, it feels like kind of a, a Twilight Zone episode. It's a cool sci-fi Sci story. It tries to shoehorn like a theme about scientific progress being bad in, but it doesn't really commit to it, and that's kind of stupid anyway. So it doesn't really have anything to say other than, hey, check it out, Flyman, fucked up, right? I agree. And it tries to be more with, of a mystery, and it's I not a very good what, mystery. What the the themes where it was kind of dumb saying that yeah. progresses shouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, which again, like I say, it's a, it's a fairly common, especially in the Victorian science fiction, like, that's basically the premise of Frankenstein, is don't play God. Yeah. But, uh, this movie, though, is teeming when, with well, deeper I guess Jurassic Park idea. is like that, too. Sure. Yeah. Because that power, they didn't respect and, it, and it's out now. And he was, he was in it too. Jeff Goldblum, he's and, a, he's, and he's he an did, invasion of the body snatchers. In Jurassic Park, he does the speeches. The scientists never stopped to think if they, they should. should. Yeah, he gives that whole chaos theory thing. Yeah, that's cool. So this whole movie could easily be read as a whole like metaphor for serious illness, like cancer, AIDS, or any other like bad, disfiguring, or life-ending, changing disease. Yeah. Like the whole point of this movie is the horror, the existential horror. And the impotent horror of watching yourself change into something unrecognizable and be unable to control it. And also the, the awful horror of having to watch someone you love go through that and being unable to do anything about it as you watch them lose themselves. Mm -hmm. So this could be cancer, AIDS, this could be Alzheimer's, this could be anything. Anything where you're just losing yourself, right? Right. And it also throws in some of this, like, I remember you talking, not in like a body horror way, but about pregnancy. This thing growing inside of you that isn't you, it's in you and it is part of you but it also isn't like I remember you talking about like the weird kind of disembodied not, obviously not horror because no, I wasn't you were horrified. happy to be pregnant but, but you was, were like talking about how it was weird well it was weird because I remember like people talk about, I don't know, it's just like a very cliched way of talking about being pregnant but like saying Oh, I I'm want pickles and ice cream. I'm already, or you already feel this connection to this thing inside you, and I didn't. I don't think people 
And I, I just, it felt foreign. It seems like a lie to me. It felt foreign <laughs> and weird and and abstract. I didn't know yeah. what it was going to be like until until Brody was born. And then I was like, yeah. then it immediately I felt attached. And not even all moms feel that sure. even when they do give birth right away. Some moms, it takes them longer to feel that attachment. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I, I like think that like, I have a that. very interesting and unique perspective. <laughs> Being a man, I feel like I know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I am in no way qualified to comment on what it feels like to be pregnant. All I'm saying is I can remember you talking about it and thinking, huh, that sounds like it would be uh, on, in some way unsettling if you thought about it in a certain way, even though you never actually it was like exciting. You were freaked out. It was but exciting, imagine if but... you were thinking, like, you know, what if what if you had reason to believe that your child was going to be potentially deformed or extremely severely uh, ill or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Handicapped or something yeah. like that? Like, well, she says that in the, yeah. in the, when she's going to the abortion clinic. She's like, the father is deformed. The baby's going to yeah. be deformed. She wants it out of her. Exactly. And the yeah. doctor's just kind of like, well, that seems a bit much. And it's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. His dad is really, <laughs> is really fucking fucked deformed. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it all, like, slowly builds up to this complete and utter loss of humanity, which is, like, on the surface level, it's gross and crazy and, like, whoa, look how gnarly this is. The body is being turned against you. It's scary and gross and the effects are cool. But it's also just, like, the actual horror comes from his slow loss of humanity and him watching it happen and knowing he can't control it. And But he didn't seem as sad about it as in the original. See, but the reason I like this better than the original as well is that in the original, Andre isn't even a fucking character. He's just, like, smart guy. And then when he becomes the fly, he doesn't even speak anymore. He's not even a... So everything that happens has to be through the eyes of Gidget, not through Andre. Because she's the only person who can talk. In this movie... Brundle Seth talks the whole time and like as he's taught all eventually all you can recognize of him is his voice and his eyes and then the final moment of transformation where he goes from human to completely unhuman is when he loses the ability to speak when she his jaw comes right. off and it's at that moment that the last vestige of his humanity is gone that's when he bursts his eyes which until then even until that moment were still Jeff Goldblum's brown eyes that were humanity. The eyes are the window of the soul. You can still see the human in those eyes. At that moment, once he loses the ability to speak, the ability for us to actually relate to him as a human being, as he's talking about his feelings, he bursts and turns into the monster. Yeah. God, oh, that's so great. But, like, in the original, I found he was he was sadder about his humanity being lost than, than Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't feel I found, like he felt felt I, sad. He I, felt more just like I have to protect the universe and society from the errors of science. And he didn't actually seem sad that he, he was going to be away from about, his. Yeah, he did seem sad about being away from his wife. The whole romance know. was really heartbreaking yeah, in the first one, where Jeff Goldblum was so science-minded. For most of it, he was just kind of amazed by the whole and like documenting the transformation. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the things I like about it is that like in the first one, he's noble until the very end. I will sacrifice myself. No one must know of this. Whereas Seth, like I feel like if let's like, say when he hypothetically, fly. yes, but let's say hypothetically that you got diagnosed with a serious illness, a person who was to get diagnosed with a serious life-threatening illness. Yes, and you know. 
in the story, you would expect, well, of course, this, the man character who gets this illness that potentially life-limiting, whatever, has to put his family first, and it's all about how he's sad to be leaving his family and looking after his wife. No, I think that in real life, it seems more realistic to me that the actual first thing would be the horror of what's happening to that person. And, like, yes, the family aspect of it is sad, but, like, th he's going through the, the, the pro slow process of dying. Mm -hmm. You know, so he's not really thinking about his romance or even about her. He's sending her away because he doesn't want her to see him like this. That's why he sends her away first because he doesn't want, and he calls her back because he wants to say goodbye because mm -hmm. he knows he's going. But it's like he's not really so much concerned with their relationship so much as coming to terms with his own inevitable end. Mm -hmm. And that to me just felt so completely raw and real. And like I say, as soon as he loses his ability to speech to speak, that's like the moment where Cronenberg says, "Okay, now he's got no humanity left," and they just take the last of it away, and he becomes the monster. Yeah. And then he even gives him that last little bit of recognizable human behavior, where he like tries to put the gun up to his head because he's like, "Fucking kill me." Right? Yeah. So I didn't find the original sad at all because I was like, "Well, Andre isn't even a human. He's not. A, he he doesn't have humanity to lose. He's a fucking robot." I didn't think he was a robot. And I didn't... See, I didn't like him or Gidget. I found them both very irritating and phony. And I don't believe that he even ever saw his son. But I no. also didn't care because his son wasn't a character anyway. But it was like the phony in the sort of Twilight Zone sci-fi sure, yeah. universe way. But it just didn't work for me very well. Like Fair the, enough. The sci-fi mystery of it was fun. But it was just kind of like, oh, that's a fun thing. They got turned into a bug man. Yeah. But this is like... This human scale tragedy about losing control of yourself and coming to terms with your own death. I did like in this one, um, the whole transformation was slow. Yeah. Where the yeah, was remake heads. was like instant. Yeah. 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 So, which one did you like better? <laughs> Uh, the Simpsons Trios of Horror. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I think that The Fly might... The Cronenberg Fly might be the best body horror movie ever made. Uh, and one of Cronenberg's best films, which is all saying a lot, because I don't think Cronenberg has any... I think Cronenberg's worst movie that I've seen is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think The Fly is a fun sci-fi B-movie that doesn't ever even come close to elevating beyond its sci-fi B-moviness. I love the B-movie aspect of it. Um, for me, they're like... I almost like them the same for very different reasons. Just like you just said, it's a B movie, and I love mm -hmm. the B movie aspect of it. But I loved the yeah. this one; it, like it just had more substance to it. I had fun watching the original, and I'll watch it again. I like I like those kind of movies. Yeah. But you know, I don't feel anything while watching it, other than like, ha, look at the kitschy special effects. That's not what Montreal looks this like. This one, the remake, this movie is haunting. Hard to watch parts of it. Yeah, I didn't even find it hard. You know what I mean? Like it was just like it just was very good. Just been thinking yeah. about it. I wrote notes. Yeah, just the notebook. like him, like the physicalness of yeah. I can't even speak of him losing his body parts. Is just seeing that is hard to watch. Yeah, you always get a little squeamish at body horror. We've only watched a couple body horrors in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like Society. Remember that one? Yep. <laughs> I like that movie. This is better. <laughs> anyway, whew, it's a long one. Yeah. So that we is the fly. So yeah, I guess it's safe to say that I like the remake better. You like them both. I like the Copper. remake better. Thank you. A little, a little bit better. Love it. But I like them both for different reasons. There you go. Well, that was that, and this is this. 
And when is your pick for? It's my pick. What's next month? March. Next month is March. Uh, so for March, I'm going to bring it up just so Nicole can see the poster. I've been putting off watching this now for so long for some reason. You don't know why? I don't know. Probably because I wanted to like be in the right mood to watch it, but we're watching one of, one of my very favorite filmmakers. This is another remake. We have seen the original. I don't think it was for the podcast. It was for the podcast. It was for the podcast. We originally watched the original Nosferatu, which, if I'm not mistaken, is an F.W. Murnau film. It's a silent film. Silent German expressionist yeah. film. Uh, but this is one of my favorite filmmakers, Werner Herzog, in 1979, directed a remake of Nosferatu the Vampire starring Klaus Kinski. And uh, we are going to watch the fuck out of it. And I'm very excited. I've been wanting to watch this for a very long time. Cool. I'm excited too. Yeah. Bruno Ganz is in it too. Nice. Which doesn't mean a lot to you because I don't think you've seen anything else with him. Well, it's cool that, like, Herz... I can't see his name. Werner Herzog? Herzog is one of your favorite filmmakers, I would really say. Is. And we've never done him on our podcast. Yeah, I think this is the only one of... I mean, he's got movies that I think are horrific, but this is the only one that, like, it's about a vampire, so yeah. it feels like it fits... I have stretched the definition of our podcast occasionally for my picks, but I feel good about this one. I didn't have to stretch. I'm looking forward to it, and you too can enjoy watching it and cut. Nah, fuck off. <laughs> anyway, uh, you have anything else to add, my dear? Nope. Cool. Well, until next time, I am the creature, Joey G. And I'm the bride, Nicole. Y'all stay scary now. How could this woman ever decide to wed this man?